officially uh, welcome you today as we start a new Sunday School series. Uh, we're excited to teach through uh, together. So uh, Kyle and I will be co-teaching again, um, and we're going to walk through a, a new subject. So last semester, our topic was the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we used Sinclair Ferguson's book on the Holy Spirit sort of as a guide through that topic. And I hope that class was helpful, not only for learning, um, but also for devotion and for worship, as we hope all of these classes are not just for learning and acquiring knowledge, but also for devotion and, and for worship. This semester, we'll be studying what's referred to in theological terms as theology proper. And theology proper is the study of God and his attributes. It's the study of God and his attributes. So we'll be using a book written by Samuel Renahan entitled Deity and Decree. Samuel Renahan, if, if you're not familiar with him, he's a pastor at Trinity Reformed Baptist Church in California, La Mirada, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's authored several really helpful books uh, there. His writing is, I, I appreciate it because it's accessible, um, but it's also weighty. He has a way of talking about things that are really weighty, the attributes of God, the sovereignty of God, um, divine impassibility, and he talks about them in a way that's really accessible and easy to, to understand and to grasp, which is really what I appreciate about Samuel Renahan. But again, the book is entitled Deity and Decree. Um, Renahan has focused his studies um, in the area of particular Baptist or Reformed Baptist church history, and covenant <coughs> theology, some of his books that have been really helpful for me. Um, one, The Mystery of Christ, His Covenant and His Kingdom. Well, in this book, he lays out how God faithfully executes his purposes in creation and how he does this within the framework from Adam to Christ uh, in creation or rather from creation to consummation. So really helpful book. Um, I think every member of our church should get a hold of this book and, and work through it um, slowly, carefully. Again, it's really, it, it's weighty. It, it deals with very, uh, anything of God is uh, of eternal importance, but it deals with things of importance in a way that's very accessible. Um, another book he's written that's been helpful for me is God Without Passions, uh, a primer. So in this book, it's an introduction to divine impassibility. That's to, to say, that God does not experience uh, emotional change either from within or affected by his relationship with creation. Uh, divine impassibility. God doesn't experience emotional change either from within or affected by his relationship with creation. All right, so really, really helpful book. If you're scratching your head like, what does that even mean? Pick up the book. <laughs> it's a really helpful uh, primer um, as he walks through through those things. All right, so just a little background there on Samuel Renahan and the book we'll be we'll be looking at. Now, this book that we'll be we'll be looking at and we'll be working through in this series, it was actually originally uh, written uh, in uh, Spanish uh, lectures that. Uh, Sam Grinham was preaching or teaching through down in Colombia in 2019. So he speaks Spanish fluently. Um, 
he's, he's, he's American, um, but he speaks uh, clear and fluent Spanish. Uh, he translated this book back into English, um, and it was really supposed to be a primer on the attributes of God. So the book has, has three parts. Part one deals with God's unity, part two deals with God's trinity, and part three deals with God's decree. In his introduction to the book, he says this, in this book, my desire and intent is to present the doctrine of God taught by the scriptures, defended by the church through the ages, and expressed in the confessions of faith of the reformers and of their heirs. The doctrine of God in which man finds his chief good and blessing. Now, when we come to subjects like this, the attributes of God, the doctrine of God, and this deity and decree, um, we can be tempted to think that, well, that's, that's good, but that's not really practical for like, how I live life. Um, something on um, marriage or, or parenting or prayer would be more helpful and practical. Um, and those things are helpful and, and practical, uh, but there's nothing more helpful and practical than uh, God, uh, the one in whom we have our very being and existence. Uh, scripture says, in, in God, we live, move, and have our being. And how we think about God is the most important thing about us. Um, what, what comes to mind when you think about God? What comes to mind when you think about God's attributes, um, who our triune God is? That is the most important thing about us, because really that determines one's eternal state. What the unbeliever thinks about God is not what the Bible says or who the Bible says God is. What the believer thinks about God is not only um, what the script, what the spirit has revealed to them in scriptures and given them a new heart, but also informs their worship. Are we worshiping God as he has, as scripture has talked about God, as God has revealed himself in scripture, or are we worshiping a false God? Right? So how we think about God, his, his attributes, his person, uh, his works, all are extremely practical. Again, not just for intellectual knowledge, we ought to learn about God and have categories as we think about God, but also for worship. So when we leave Sunday school and we go into the corporate worship room in the sanctuary and we worship, we're worshiping our true and living God. And our, our thoughts about him, our affections toward him ought to align with what God said, how he said we should think about him. So it's worship. It's uh, it's, it's growing in knowledge and wisdom, um, but it's, it's also very, very worshipful. OK, so um, our church is a church that confesses the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, the 1689. Um, for those who have gone just gone through the new members class, we gave you a copy of that, and we want you to be able to read that and get, get familiar with it. It's, it's um, uh, under scripture, a, a guiding um, uh, principle that we go to as we think about church life and our systematic theology. So it's, it's, it's a helpful tool for us as a church that we've adopted as that guiding principle. Again, we use it to guide our teaching and doctrine uh, this book will be helpful as it explains the language of the confession in chapters one and two. So I want to read uh, chapters 
um, two, paragraph one, and then chapter three, par- paragraph one. The, this book is really an explanation of the first two paragraphs in chapters two of the confession and chapters three of the confession. So if you do have one, the one that we maybe gave to you, another one that you that you purchased, make sure you bring them to class because we're going to be looking at the confession as, as well. Okay. All right. So let's start by reading these first two chapters or yeah, the uh, two chapters or paragraphs of chapter two and then chapter three. So who has their confession with them? Brian. Okay. All right. <laughs> you get a star for having your confession. Um, read paragraph one of chapter two, nice and loud for us. The Lord, our God is one, the only living and true God. He is self-existent and infinite in being and perfection. His essence cannot be understood by anyone but him. He is a perfectly pure spirit. He is invisible and has no body, parts, or changeable emotions. He alone has immortality, dwelling in life that no one can approach. He is unchangeable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, in every way infinite, absolutely holy, perfectly wise, wholly free, completely absolute. He works all things according to the counsel of his own unchangeable and completely righteous will for his own glory. He is most loving, gracious, merciful, and patient. He overflows with goodness and truth, forgiving inequity, transgression, and sin. He rewards those who seek him diligently. At the same time, he is perfectly just and terrifying in his judgments. He hates all sin and will certainly not clear the guilty. Okay, thank you. Well, there's a there's a lot there. <laughs> we can spend several classes on that that paragraph. But here we have articulated God who is Trinity. Our God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So when we think about God, our mind shouldn't just go to the Father or simply to the Son or even to the Holy Spirit. We have books written entitled The Forgotten Spirit, as our minds don't usually go there. But when we think about God, we should think about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as this paragraph of the confession um, lays out, as it draws from scripture, if you have the confession, when you see those um, scripture notes at the bottom, those aren't meant to be proof texts necessarily, but they're meant to be taken and read and studied along with other texts that brings us to the conclusion of how God has um, uh, uh, talked about himself in scripture. Okay, now let's read um, paragraph one of chapter three in the confession. Who else has their, their confession with them? I now do. All right, the wife of Brian. <laughs> All right, paragraph one, chapter three, God's decree. From all eternity, God decreed everything that occurs without reference to anything outside himself. He did this by the perfectly wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably. Yet God did this in such a way that he is neither the author of sin nor has fellowship with any in their sin. This decree does not violate the will of the creature or take away the free working or contingency of second causes. On the contrary, these are established by God's decree. In this decree, God's wisdom is displayed in directing all things, and his power and faithfulness are demonstrated in accomplishing his decree. Okay, thank you. Scripture talks about God as uh, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
And at times when we think about that, we can say that, okay, the beginning, God, right? He has an origin and then the end is God. But scripture is not talking about God having a beginning and, and an end, but God being and his being is the beginning and an end. Um, time itself is a creation. It's created by God. Beginning and we think in successions of time. God doesn't think in successions of time. There is no one o'clock or three o'clock or seven o'clock with God. God is outside of time. And when we think about God's decree, what he has sovereignly and eternally determined to, to happen, he's determined it to happen within time, yet God himself is outside of time. I know these are, these are big concepts, but through, through this class, we're going to sort of break these down and compartmentalize and work through them. Um, because again, we believe this is important not only for how we think about God, but how we think about God as it informs our worship of God. And we want to have a, a big God in mind. We want to, even when we think about this past week, um, if our God is small, if he's finite, if he's limited in his power and ability and wisdom and knowledge, then why did this happen to me this past week? Why me and not them? Why them and not me? Will I ever get out of this situation? Did God know this would happen? Didn't he know this would happen? I don't have the money to take care of this or that or this or that. But if our God is, is big, if he's sovereign over all things in every detail, then that's informing our worship when we do come across things that are unexpected. That's informing how we think about God when, um, again, the unexpected happens and we're sort of thrown off. We can remember that God is sovereign. He did predetermine everything that happens. And it didn't catch God off guard. He wasn't sort of uh, on his high and holy throne and then something happened over here and he says, oh, I, I didn't plan for that. that that's, that's not God. It's a, it's a false God, but it's not the God of the scriptures. Right? So we want to think about the God of the scriptures. Now you have a hand out there. If you don't have one, it's on the back table. You should have a, have a hand out there. And first we want to ask the question, what is God? Chapter one of the book asks this question, what is God? <clears throat> now it's one of those questions that you sort of hear from the back seat when you're riding down the street with your kids. Mommy, daddy, what is God? And you say, I should know this, but I don't think I've really thought about it that way. What, what is God? You think and then you pause and then try and come up with, a, with an answer. Uh, because maybe you do realize that you yourself haven't really thought about that question before. What is God? How do you define God? How do you explain him? <clears throat> My son has been reading uh, these and reading and doing schoolwork on species and, and, and habitats. Uh, uh, genus and origin as he's going through his schoolwork. What we see now in animal life and plant life started in Genesis as God created everything after its own kind. Now, even when we try to describe man, man, it, it can be difficult when you think about what is man. When you, when you think about his affections, his mind, uh, his body, his, his will, when you get down to that level and you try and define man. But man can be defined. He can be uh, explained. He can be described. We know from Genesis that man is body and soul. 
We know that man was made male and female. We know that God created humanity upright and perfect. Man has an origin. Everything in creation has an origin. Everything except God. God is uncreated. Therefore, he has no point of of origin. There's no category to say, well, God is like this. Because as soon as we say that thing that God is like, what we're describing is, is, is not God. He's not. We can't think of anything in creation or anything that is creature and say God is like this. Because what it means to be God is that you are unlike anything in creation. Um, everything else is created again and finds its origin in God. But God is, when, when the Bible says God is holy, 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 it means he's, he's utterly separate. He's utterly unique, not only in his holiness, but in his being from anything in creation. There's only one true and living God. Now, let's look at some scriptures to sort of back this up, to get underneath us as we think about what is God. Yes. Yep. The that I was seeking yeah. And then one day out of the blue, just you know, like a trivia question, I asked the oldest one who was about six years old. I asked her, Who is God? And she said, He is a ghost with no bones. <laughs> yeah. That's how she came. Yeah, that's that's how her mind put it together. Yeah. Many adults would, would have that, that idea as well. Um, and it, for, for different reasons, maybe how we were raised, maybe different cultures, but scripture talks about God very, very differently than a ghost with no bones, right? You could see how she could have that, that concept, but scripture talks about God in a very, very different way. Now you have these scriptures that we're gonna look at on your handout as well under what is God, but let's, let's read some of these together. So Deuteronomy 6, 4. And we'll, we'll be working through scripture, so just be ready to grab one and read, if you're able. Deuteronomy 6.4. Can somebody read that for us? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. All right, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we confess God who is one and yet triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. Three persons, same in essence, measurable divine, supreme, yet one God. Um, Isaiah 45, 5. Let me have someone read that for us. I got it. I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. Okay. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I equip you, though you do not know me. Okay. So God, being the one who gives, provides for his creation, but also we see in this verse that there is no other besides God. There is no other like God, right? <clears throat> we think about everything having an origin after its own kind. There's nothing in creation like God in that sense. Jeremiah 10:10. 10, 10. Somebody read that for us. Okay, again, laying out God's um, supreme, uh, for lack of better terms, uh, individuality. In other words, there's nothing in creation 
like God, the only true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. So when you, when we read our read the Bible with with the kids, in these different, or you, you read your Bible with with the kid with your kids, and these different um, uh, gods are described, right? Baal and uh, Balaam and, and these different things, and they say, okay, well, this is saying that Baal is this God. Is 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 there? Christian God and then this this other God um, no scripture is clear that there is only one true and living God those other gods are are false gods they're they're gods who think that they're God but they're not is a way that it can be described so scripture gives us some language to talk about the being of God but even the language given to us in the Bible falls short of describing God so God is both incomprehensible and ineffable. He's incomprehensible and ineffable. In other words, incomprehensible, our minds can't comprehend God fully. Ineffable, our words can't explain God fully. Right? So our, our language falls short of describing God as he is in his eternal divine being. Yet, <clears throat> both, helpfully done, in the, in the Westminster and the Baptist Confession, there's appropriate language to talk about the nature of God. It doesn't capture God fully, but it's appropriate to talk about the nature of God. Um, in our Baptist catechism, let me have someone, someone read that. Nice and loud for us. We can do it like we do it with the kids. I say, what is God? And then you answer together. You, you want to do it that way? <laughs> All right. Question seven. What is God? God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, and his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. It's beautiful. Y'all are like right on, on cue. Well, it's interesting when we look at the Baptist Catechism and the, and the um, Confession as well, but specifically the Catechism, and we'll look at the Westminster there as well because they're very similar. But these catechisms were written not from pastors for pastors or from scholars to scholars. They were written by pastors for the families and children in those families. So these, usually when we think about the catechism, we think of that they were sort of written in this, you know, tower, this ivory tower, and then you know, they dropped them out of the window and they floated down to the people. But no, these were pastors in their offices thinking about um, how do we communicate these truths to the children in our congregations? And so they drew up catechisms. It's basically, catechism means question-answer format, right? You ask the question, the child answers. So they're really extremely helpful. We've seen how they've been helpful in our own uh, family when our kids will ask a question and we can say well rem remember what the catechism says what is God and then they can answer God is a spirit and does not have a body like men and oh that answers my question and we can point back to different things that we've talked about and worked through as a family through the catechism so you'll be surprised how helpful these things are and how um, um, what's the word absorbent is that, is that it kids can be um, with repetition, they can have some of these categories in mind from a young age. And as they grow, um, these things 
are the things that God uses in his sovereignty to preserve their minds and hearts and even to draw them to himself. So they're, they're really important in that. Norm? Yeah, yep. absolutely. Okay, this is the Westminster, this is the shorter version of the shorter catechism, uh, Westminster Children's Catechism. This is the one we use with, with, with our, kids, our, our kids. What is God? God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. So simple answer, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men. It is interesting that in scriptures and in the confession, the church of God has best described God by saying what he is not. Yeah. Right. So instead of trying to explain what he is, both scripture and the confession have said, well, this is what he is. He is he's not. He's not like this. God does not have a body like men. God does not lie. Um, Numbers twenty three nineteen says, God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. God does not sleep, again, negatively describing God, what he does not do, what he is not. Uh, Psalm 121.4, behold, he who holds Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. Psalm 50 verse 21, these things you have done and I have been silent. You thought I was one like yourself, God says. But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. That's Psalm 50, verse 21. You thought I was one like yourself. You thought I was like man. You thought my likeness was that of man. But now I rebuke you and lay this charge before you. God has been best described by saying what he is not like. Our confession says his essence cannot be understood by anyone but himself. So we also confess that God is in essence. Samuel Renahan, in, in his, his book, he says, by the word essence, we mean that one pure and mere act by which God is God. This means that God is pure being. Matthew Barrett, in his book, he has a really helpful definition here as well. His book entitled None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God. Really, really helpful. But he's another writer, uh, theologian, pastor that's really accessible. Um, he writes in terms that are easy to understand. And he also defines everything he says, which makes it really helpful. But in, in his book, in, in the glossary, he gives a definition of what we mean when we say that God is an essence, the, the essence of God. So let me have someone read that definition for us nice and loud. God's essence refers to the being of God is whatness. God's essence, substance, being is not one thing and his existence another thing. They are one and the same. God's essence is his attributes and his attributes are his essence. In reference to the Trinity, God is one essence, three persons. All right, thank you. God's essence refers to his, his being, his, his wetness, for lack of better terms. What, what is God? Um, it refers to God and his God's essence is his attributes and his attributes are his his essence. And we'll talk about that, that a little more. <clears throat> now, if 
those definitions, those categories, if you hear this and you say, okay, this sounds like it should be good, but I'm not following. <laughs> what, 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 is, what, what, what are you talking about? It, it, it's okay, as, as we work through this class and we think about these, these things, it's okay for us to, to feel like we're not fully, we can't fully grasp it. I mean, I don't fully, fully, fully grasp it. If we can fully wrap our arms around understanding God, then that's not the God of the scriptures. We should grapple with this, but also worship as we, as we grapple. Because God can't be uh, defined in nice categories and boxes as, as we think about it. Um, but God is really outside of anything that we could fully comprehend or conceive. He can be known because he has revealed himself to us in scripture. And he wants, he desires to be known and has revealed himself for that purpose. But we can never fully, fully grasp what God is. Again, if we can fully understand and explain God, then that's not the God that we read about in the scripture. Thinking about what is God. Psalm 145.3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is what? Unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable. The, the height, the depth, the width, the span is, is unsearchable beyond what can be searched out fully. Job 26, 14. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him? His, his, his whisper, his, his whisper as he reveals himself. They're the outskirts of, of his ways. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Not only as he whispers to us, but as he thunders his being, it's, it's incomprehensible, right? He's, he's beyond fully comprehending. And what he's revealed to us is just the sort of the, the top layer, if you can put it in, in that way, the, the outskirts of his ways. Now, let me have someone read Romans eleven thirty three to 34. This is what, what um, Paul, as he thought about God and his being, this is what it, it led him to. Romans eleven thirty three to 34. Let me have someone read that for us. Okay, thank you. He just, he breaks out. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom, the knowledge of God. This is, this is the Apostle Paul as he's thinking about God, the, the, the greatest theologian besides the Lord Jesus Christ <laughs> in, in the history of the church. He thinks about God and he, he breaks out into worship, rightly. He breaks out into doxology, praise. He thinks about God sees that he can't fully apprehend God and breaks out into praise, doxology. Oh, how great the depth, the wisdom, the knowledge of God. At the beginning of Renahan's book, he has the scripture at, at the very beginning, Psalm 139.6, which says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. <clears throat> and James Dolezal, another theologian who writes on this subject often said something or he, he said something like this what we do not fully understand and though we do not fully understand we ought to worship 
We don't have to get to the bottom of God to say, okay, now I will worship. As we search the wisdom of God, we worship, right? It, it is of worship to think about God and to search God out and to, and to know him. Okay, let's go on to the next section in your handout there. God exists. God exists. And Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity, he says, the belief of God's essence is the foundation of all religious worship. The belief of God's essence is the foundation of all religious worship. The attributes of God, what we think about God as he has described himself in his word, is the foundation of worship. So how we think about God when we're reading the scriptures informs what we do, not just here, but as we come here and worship together in the sanctuary. And for that matter, all of, of, of life as it is worship. More and more, the worldly philosophies that surround faithful churches will try to make them feel foolish for believing that God exists. The world will try to convince themselves that God does not exist against their own internal knowledge that he does. Romans 1, 19 to 20 says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. <clears throat> so if, in, if anyone were to ask, how do I know that God exists? Scripture says that God himself has revealed it to them in creation through the things that he has made. So either the scriptures are lying that God's revelation has penetrated and gotten through or man is denying the truth and deciding to do something else with that revelation that has penetrated and gotten through. So either the scriptures are lying or the man is lying and the revelation has gotten through but is choosing to do something with that revelation. Romans 1.18 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men because of what they decide to do with the revelation they have received. By their unrighteousness, scripture says, they suppress the truth. It's not that they haven't received it, that it hasn't gotten through. Scripture says that they suppress it. So it's like trying to hold a huge beach ball under the pool, under the surface of a pool. Right. Have you ever tried that? You know how hard that is? Kids play games at this because it's hard. They take that truth and they press it underneath the surface. And it takes all of the muscles in their back and arms and body to keep it under. And they live their lives suppressing the truth and, and unrighteousness. It's not about um, a knowledge or some type of spirituality where they get to the point where they see it. or No, God says creation attests to the fact that I exist, that I am. The trees, the rivers, the sun, the warmth from the sun. When we eat food and it, it's, it's delight, a delight to the taste. These, these things attest to the fact that God, God is. And men suppress the truth and unrighteousness. <coughs> Romans 3.25 says, <clears throat> we are not passive, but rather, or, or we're not passive or neutral, but rather we actually actively exchange the truth about God for a lie. And the natural result 
is that we don't worship. Or rather, I should say it this way. The natural result is not that we don't worship, but that we worship something else. Because we're designed and created as worshipful beings. We don't become worshipless when we deny God. We just worship something else in place of God. Right? We still worship. Again, we just worship what is, uh, what, what's created. We worship and serve the creature, Scripture says, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Okay? Psalm 19. <clears throat> Let me have someone read that for us, and we'll, we'll close out here. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. And then he has set a tent for the sun. Okay, thank you. So God has spoken. His, his voice in creation goes out. He's spoken. Creation declares the glory of God. Night to night reveals knowledge of God. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. The revelation gets through, but it's only sufficient to leave men without excuse. They cannot be saved by looking at a tree or standing at the edge of, of, of an ocean at the beach and, and, and looking out and saying, man, this is, this is wonderful. This is beautiful. Unbelievers do that all the time. We went to on vacation one time and we, we watched the sunset. And after the sunset, Everybody started clapping. It's like, man, that was incredible. And then they walk away, <laughs> right? But for the believer, when, when one sees and believes, they look at the sunset and they clap as they ought to do. And it leads to the one who created this, this marvelous sunset. And it leads to worship. It leads to doxology. It leads to um, belief. It leads to um, knowing God, not just as, he, as, he, as he's revealed in creation, but as he's revealed in scripture through the gospel, right? The gospel has to be proclaimed from them to see and to believe. So men know and men continue to worship. They just don't worship the triune God of the scriptures. And as we work through these lessons, instead of um, proving God or trying to prove God, we'll assume that he exists. And we'll try to better understand why and how the church has confessed his being. That's sort of what we're going for in this, this series. Deity and decree. What is God? His essence, his being, his attributes. So we'll, we'll go deep, we'll go high, but hopefully with, with understanding and hopefully with worshipful hearts. Okay? Now let me pray and then I'll, I'll close out. Okay? Lord, you are worthy to be praised. Our words fall short. Our affections are often wayward and don't worship as they ought to. But we thank you, Father, that you have called a people to yourself. Um, we thank you that you have not only revealed yourself to us in creation, but the voice of your revelation and the scriptures have been revealed to us by the spirit. And you have called us to see and believe, behold, and to worship. We pray that as we go through this series that you would continue to teach us, train us, um, and may we be more conformed to the image of Christ. And may we have a big God that we love, worship, and adore. 
Um, and may you be glorified in all these things, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, you guys can pray for me.